Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So Dr. Alina is off for this episode, but um, I'm pleased to continue our discussion on developmental milestones with Dr. Ruchi Punitar. She is a fellow in developmental and behavioral pediatrics here at the UC Davis Mind Institute, and she's going to help us walk through social-emotional milestones today. So Dr. Punitar, thank you so much for joining us on Kids Considered today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about developmental milestones today. Before we get into the specifics of social and emotional development, could you tell us why developmental screening is so critical in early childhood? Yeah, so we know developmental screening is really important since it helps us diagnose problems early, um, which means kids will get intervention early and they'll start therapies early. um, And ultimately, this improves how they do in the long run. We also know that sometimes it's hard for parents and even medical providers to pick up developmental delays. So using a questionnaire which screens for specific developmental problems can be really helpful. So when should parents expect questions about their child's social-emotional development? And can you briefly discuss the difference between the developmental surveillance and developmental screening in this realm? So pediatricians will ask about your child's development at every well-child check. They'll ask you questions about how he's doing in different areas, such as motor skills and social skills, and they might even try to observe some of the skills that they have. And I really want to encourage parents to bring up any concerns that you have about your child's development to your child's doctor. You're the expert on your child, and so you definitely know what's best um, and what's going on with them at home. And the question about the difference between developmental surveillance and developmental screening is a great one. So developmental surveillance is what pediatricians do. Um, at every visit where they just kind of monitor how your child is developing, um, ask some questions and see if you have any concerns. Developmental screening is a different process. This is a more standardized process where we have parents fill out a specific questionnaire about things that your child can do. So we typically have these filled out at 9, 18, and 30 months at the well child checks. And then we're able to see how your child is doing compared to how most kids typically develop. The other area that we use screening forms for is autism spectrum disorder, and we'll have parents fill out these screening questionnaires at 18 and 24 months. While we use these screening forms at these specific well-child visits, if there's ever a concern, we definitely can use these um, screening tests to see if there's anything we need to worry about at any visit. So the screening, those are like yes-no answers and like checklists and stuff. They're formal. Yeah, so they'll be like, yes, um, no, or sometimes. So kids might be starting to develop some skills, so we want to take that into account as well. So what do we specifically mean when we start talking about social-emotional developmental milestones? So when we think about social-emotional development, we think about how a child builds relationships with others, how they communicate with the world around them. And these are skills that really help kids start to understand their feeling, um, help them interact with others and build relationships, help them engage with their environment. So some examples of early social-emotional skills that we would want to see in young babies are making eye contact and smiling. When kids get older, 
It looks more like taking turns, playing with other kids. And we do know that parents and caregivers play a really big role in developing these skills since they offer the most consistent relationship for children. So many parents may not traditionally think of the social and emotional developmental milestones. So can you explain why these milestones are really just as important as other things that parents pay attention to, like when a child has their first words or when they're um, taking their first steps and walking by themselves? Yeah, you're right. So when we typically think about kids' milestones, we think about their motor milestones. So like you were saying, when they take their first step or when they have their first word, if we're thinking about language milestones. But we know that social-emotional development is just as important. We as humans are very social beings. We live in communities. We work together with others. Um, So these early skills lay the foundation for other skills kids will develop that are important for success in school and later in life. So let's start by reviewing um, the typical social and emotional development that we'll see in children. And let's start with right after birth up until child starts school. So what can parents really expect at each age, like, at, for example, starting at two months of age? So at two months of age, um, most infants have what we call a social smile. So this is when a parent smiles at their baby and the baby smiles back. And so parents always love this, and this is really fun to see. Babies will also start making sounds. So they'll uh, make sounds when they're happy or upset, just to let you know a little bit about how they're feeling. And then what can parents expect at about four to six months of age? So at four to six months of age, babies will start laughing to show excitement. Um, If they're upset, they can be comforted um, by their caregiver and will calm down. They also get really interested in their reflection in their mirror. um, And they start to turn their head when their name is called. So because they're starting to interact more with their environment, this is a great age to start playing some more social games like peekaboo. And then what about at 9 to 12 months of age? We did an episode on separation anxiety, and we talked about how that's when infants can really start to experience stranger danger and separation anxiety. So this is a really fun age with babies since they're starting to communicate a lot more with others. They'll start to use basic gestures, such as holding out their arms to be picked up. Uh, When they're close to one year of age, they'll start imitating other people's gestures. Kids will also turn to their name consistently. They start developing preferences for certain people and toys. And because babies are developing these preferences and have early memory, it allows them to recognize their caregiver compared to an unfamiliar adult. And this is why we see the separation anxiety at this age. So usually around eight to nine months, um, babies will start having separation anxiety, and it usually peaks around 12 months. Um, So this is when babies are really clingy to their parents. They'll cry when their parents leave. And I want to emphasize this is a normal phase of development. It really does show that the baby has bonded well with their parent. Despite that, it is stressful for both the baby and the parent to go through this. So some tips that I often give families is if the baby is going to go from their caregiver to another person, um, we want to give them some time for the infant to get to know that new caregiver. We also um, recommend using a transition object. So sometimes something like a favorite blanket can help ease that anxiety. You talked about some gestures, like a child holding up their their hands when they want to be held. What about other simple gestures, like pointing and waving to start? At what point would parents be worried if that's not something that their child is doing? So we usually see these gestures by the end of the first year. 
Um, if they're not using simple gestures like pointing or putting their arms up to be picked up, uh, I would definitely recommend parents talk to their pediatrician at that point. What about at 18 months of age? We discussed some of the gross motor skills required for potty training in, a, in our earlier gross motor um, episode. What social and emotional skills do children need before initiating um, toilet training? So at 18 months, kids are much more engaged with their environment and the people around them. They're interested in other children. They want to imitate what others, uh, what their adults are doing. So if the adults are going to the bathroom, they start to show interest in that. Um, they're doing more pretend play, such as feeding a doll. And so this is definitely an age where we start to introduce the topic of potty training to parents. Most kids aren't quite ready for potty training, but it's a great age to um, let parents know what to watch at look out for. And then closer to 24 months, we talk even more in depth about potty training. In terms of social emotional skills that um, we would want kids to have to be successful at potty training, they should be able to communicate their needs. So let you know when they need to go to the potty. They should follow simple just directions. They should want to be more independent and want to take care of some self-care tasks on their own. So if a child is able to follow a direction, like if the parent says it's time to sit on the potty and the child is able to follow that instruction, that might be a good time to start potty training. So you mentioned about two years of age. Um, you know, the twos, sometimes they're called the terrible twos. Um, could you talk about what happens then in terms of children's social and emotional development? Yeah, so during the second year of life, we saw see a lot of play skills develop. So at first, kids might just play alongside other kids, and we call this parallel play. Then they start to engage more in pretend play with others and play more interactively with other kids. So this could look like playing a game of chase. Um, and the terrible twos are also just another normal part of development. And so it's how young kids are expressing their frustration and tantrums. Usually we see this phase start anywhere from 18 to 30 months. And at this stage, two-year-olds are growing more independent from their caregivers. They want to try new things on their own. They're testing out new behaviors. They're trying to figure out what their boundaries are. But we also know that their physical language and emotional skills are still developing. Um, so they can easily become frustrated uh, when they're not able to communicate what they want or they're not able to complete a task as they would want to complete it. And they express it by having sometimes temper tantrums, um, sometimes crying and just really expressing their frustration. So at around two years of age, sometimes we hear parents talk about their child having aggressive behavior and biting people and not knowing really how to address this. Is this a normal developmental phase? And do you have any tips for parents? Yeah, so I would consider biting normal um, in a toddler, and we really want to figure out why they're doing it. So there's lots of reasons that kids would bite. It could be they're trying to get attention from a caregiver. It could be to relieve pain from teething. It could be because they're upset and have strong emotions, such as frustration and anger that they're trying to communicate. So figuring out why they're biting really helps us address it. Some things that we often do for some of these behaviors is to try to find something more acceptable in terms of replacement behavior for biting. So if a child is biting another kid at school because their toy's taken away, um, we can try to teach them some words to use to express their frustration. Um, like, for example, telling the kid, oh, it's my turn with the toy. Um, or um, if that's not sufficient, we can give them another object that would be more appropriate to bite. So it could be a safe teething toy 
toy that they can bite instead of biting their peer at school. So we really recommend that caregivers communicate these expectations in terms of what we want children to do instead of telling them what they shouldn't be doing. And then modeling some of these behaviors can be really helpful when dealing with concerns like biting. Well, this is an aside, but talking about biting, it just like last month I bit my dental hygienist by mistake, and I felt <laughs> felt terrible about it. She had her hand in my mouth, and I was trying to set a, a splint right, and I, I just didn't think, and I bit her by mistake. I felt terrible about it. <laughs> That's so, so funny. Yeah. Um, what should parents expect in this realm at three to four years of age? So around three years of age, uh, kids will play in cooperation with other kids and start to take turns. They're showing more imaginative play. Their empathy skills are also um, developing, and they're able to show concerns for others um, without being prompted. They have a wide range of feelings. Um, And this age is also when most kids are comfortable spending some time away from their parents and is a reason why most preschools start at three years of age. And then what about at five years of age? What sort of social and emotional milestones should parents be looking for in their children to show that they're ready to go to kindergarten? Yeah, so at five years of age, we see that kids have much more cooperative behavior in groups. They're able to express their likes and dislikes. Um, They know the difference between reality and fantasy. Also, at this age, kids want to be like their friends. They want to spend more time around other kids their age, which is great because this is when uh, most kids go to kindergarten. And we know most kids are ready to go to kindergarten when they can be separated um, from their caregivers. They're able to self-regulate their behavior and emotions. They're able to make friends and get along with their peers. And they can follow some rules and directions. That being said, we know that not all kids who start kindergarten have those skills. We know that self-regulation can be challenging. Maintaining attention can be really challenging for some kids. Um, So we also want to give some room and space for kids to develop these skills once they start school. So you mentioned about kids developing relationship with their peers. What's the normal process for play and developing these relationships? So we do know that play is a great way for kids to practice some of their social-emotional skills. They get to practice how to interact with others, and they get to explore their world. And so young infants mostly engage in what we call independent play. So they primarily just play with themselves. Once we um, are looking at toddlers, they start to play in parallel with other kids. So they'll play side-by-side with another kid, usually playing with the same toy, but they're not quite interacting with each other. And as kids get older, um, the play becomes more cooperative. They'll come up with games together. They'll have interactive games such as playing tag. And all of these um, experiences they have playing really help to build their social connections and friendships with their peers. What about empathy? At what age can children really begin to develop empathy? So interestingly, empathy can start really early. So even before the age of one, we see um, that babies can recognize emotions on others. They respond differently to tone of voice. So these are really the early signs of empathy. Around two, kids will start to show an understanding of other people's emotions. So if another child falls and is crying, toddlers will go up and try to comfort them. And then more Complex skills in empathy, um, such as understanding another person's perspective, occurs later on. We know in terms of developing these skills for empathy, having a supportive relationship with a caregiver, and learning how to interact with others through play is really important um, to develop these skills. 
What are some of the red flags that parents should look out for for abnormal or delayed social and emotional development? Yeah, so there are definitely a couple things that would make me as a developmental pediatrician a little bit more concerned if they weren't happening on time. Uh, So for infants who are four to six months, if they're not smiling or not making eye contact with their caregiver, I would want to look into this a little bit more. By one year of age, if they're not using simple gestures or responding to their name, between 18 and 24 months, um, if kids aren't imitating others, if they're not showing interest in other kids, or if they're really rigid about their routines, those would be concerning. And around three years of age, if kids are not interested in pretend play or they're not initiating or responding to interactions with other kids, those are all things we'd want to look a little bit more into. You talked briefly earlier about tantrums and emotional outbursts. When do these become abnormal? Yeah, so we do know that it is very normal for babies and young children to feel upset and have um, big outbursts or tantrums to express some of their emotions. They're still learning how to self-regulate and how to communicate how they're feeling. The point at which it becomes abnormal is when these behaviors are more extreme than what we'd expect for other children their age. And when it's impacting the family's ability to continue with their normal routine. We also get concerned if the tantrums occur without a clear cause. If there's an increase in how often the tantrums are occurring or how intense they are. Or if the child or family is unsafe during one of these episodes. So, for example, if a child is having an emotional outburst and opens the door and runs into the street, we'd be really concerned about his safety. So that's something we would want to look more into. You know, when I was being trained as a pediatrician 100 years ago, I think we had the Denver developmental screening chart, and that was about it. I don't think we had anything more advanced than that. But now there's a bunch of screening things that are done, including the MCHAT, M-C-H-A-T. When is that usually administered, and what does it screen for? So the MCHAT stands for Modified Checklist for Autism and Toddlers, and this is a screening tool we use anytime between the ages of 16 and 30 months to screen for autism. It's usually administered at the 18 and 24-month well-child check just to make sure we're not missing any early signs of autism, but it is something that we could administer at any time during the 16 to 30-month range. And the scores on the MCHAT, um, normal is more scoring low, right? And a high score indicates that there may be an issue. What what would the next step be? Yeah, so if your child gets a high score on the MCHAT, the first thing your pediatrician will likely do is ask you some questions just to get a better understanding of what's going on. If there continues to be a concern for autism, we'll have kids be referred to have a full evaluation where we look at the child's development especially their social skills, emotional skills, communication skills as well. This is usually done by a psychologist or a developmental behavioral pediatrician, so someone like me. And we, during that visit, we just ask a lot more questions about your child, how they're doing, we'll watch how they play, and then we'll even play with them just to get a good idea of where skills could be a little bit behind from what we'd want. How can parents, caregivers, and teachers really promote social and emotional development at home and at daycare? So there are many ways that caregivers and teachers can promote these skills. Um, One of my favorite tips is to create daily routines and consistency 
since this helps create a secure environment for children where they can continue to work on their play skills and their interaction skills with others. We always want to provide opportunities to practice skills independently and praise for success. So for example, if your child is learning how to get dressed, we want to give them the time and the space to practice this on their own and praise them for the parts they're able to do. Um, We want to give opportunities to make choices and solve problems. Uh, Once again, we've talked about this a couple of times, but play is really important. So playing games with children that teaches them how to share, take turns, ask for help is a great way to work on these skills. We want to give kids opportunity to interact with other kids. And then finally, I always recommend families talk about emotions, whether it's a child's emotion or someone else's emotions. It's good to talk about feelings. You know, we previously did an episode on ACEs, the Adverse Childhood Experiences, and we discussed how having traumas early in life, such as the absence of a parent or, um, you know, being insecure about one's home, how this can really affect a person's health throughout their life, including their social and emotional well-being. Can you talk a little bit about how ACEs can influence social and emotional development and how we may be able to buffer this in young children who do experience ACEs and protect them from the adverse effects? Definitely. So we do know that ACEs make social and emotional development a little bit more challenging. It makes it harder to form relationships with others and to feel secure enough to explore your environment. We know that kids who feel stressed for a long period of time can't focus on what they should be doing in terms of these skills. Um, And so they're not developing the foundation of their social emotional skills, making it harder to build upon later in life. In terms of uh, some buffers, as you had mentioned, we know that having at least one loving, supportive relationship with a caregiver can really help buffer some of the negative impacts from ACEs. So when children are in environments where they feel safe, that are interesting, and they have a secure relationship with a caregiver who they know is going to be responsive to their needs, it's very protective, and it gives them the space and the ability to develop these social-emotional skills. Mm -hmm. And I've heard that time and again from children who are now grown who say that they had somebody in their life that was an anchor, a, a teacher or an uncle or an aunt, somebody who wasn't maybe their parent who wasn't available to them, but they were available part-time and that that anchor really helped them get through um, those experiences. Yeah, we definitely do see that. So if parents have concerns about delays in social and emotional development, what services um, would, would be good for these, these children? So if you're concerned about your child's social-emotional development, I would really encourage you to talk with your pediatrician. We want to get a good idea of which skills are delayed since that would help us figure out what type of services or therapy would help your child the most. So sometimes we recommend infant mental health services where someone who is specialized in infant mental health will come out and work with you and your child. Um, Developmental stimulation therapy is another um, example of a option that's available, or even parent coaching. There are some good organizations, if you have concerns, that provide tips and advice on development, including social-emotional development. So there's one called Help Me Grow, which is a national organization, or more locally to California. Um, First Five California is another great one. So you've mentioned those excellent resources. Do you have any other resources or tips that you'd like to share with families? Well, so I would want to just emphasize again and really encourage parents to bring up any concerns they have about their child with their pediatrician. 
Identifying any of these delays and milestones early can really help out in the long run. I also don't want parents to worry about their child's development when something they're doing is normal for their age. So those are good reasons to work closely with your pediatrician. Another resource I really like is the CDC Milestone Tracker. And so this is an app anybody can download for free on a smartphone or a tablet. It allows parents and caregivers to track their child's development. It gives tips on different activities you can do with your kids, and it helps parents bring up concerns with their doctors. It's a really great tool just to keep a close eye on how your child is developing. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Rucci, for exploring social and emotional development in children. Um, I'd like to summarize some of the main issues that we talked about. We talked about the routine screening and surveillance um, in the realms of social and emotional development that you can expect from your pediatrician, the routine ages that different milestones um, are, are met in specific areas. We also touched on toilet training, um, biting, and tantrums and how those relate. And we also talked about some of the other screening tests, such as the MCHAT and the significance of that. So thank you so much. And I just um, have to say this reminds me of a joke. I hope this isn't offensive to a certain group of people. But um, why do engineers have to practice their social skills? I don't know. Why do they? So they don't forget either of them. Oh. <laughs> that wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital.